Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. And I'm Matt Henry, and this is one of those controversial ones. We're going to be talking about critical race theory. Is it good or bad? In one word. Good or bad? Oh, you're asking? Yes. Tell me. Uh, Bad. Bad? (laughs) Very good. (laughs) All right. So we're just going to really jump now. This is, we've been tip, dipping our toe into the pool, so to speak. Um, but we're just going to go off and do it. And again, we're doing this under protest. We're, this is not something that you and I are just yearning to do. Um, it, it's a troubling movement, the whole movement. Um, we think that's dividing the church right and left. Um, we think it's destroying relationships. Uh, I think there's going to be wreckage at the end of all this that people will look at and just be horrified Um, but it is here and so uh, today we're going to do one uh, just a simple brief examination of one of the driving theories behind or or maybe it's underneath it all it's the theory of critical race which is just fun stuff so what's the big deal on the surface many think that that what is happening in America right now is just a reaction against police brutality. I mean, that's it. They, they kind of simplified in their brains, but it isn't. Uh, many think it's about racism and justice and that because God is a God of justice. Well, I watch one more video and hear one more thing about that God is a God of justice and and therefore we need to be on the side of justice. I, I think I'm going to vomit personally, but um, have you seen that one of Paul Tripp where he's lecturing us all? Oh my God. No, I mean, I goodness. saw this. Everyone's making a big deal because he's come out woke. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, he's he's Mister Woke. I, it, I'm tired. I can't even keep up with him anymore. So I just scroll and I'm like, "There's another one. There's another yeah, one." Yeah, well, another I want to actually deal with his little lecture. It's like a 20 minute long lecture of it, and it's just like shush. But I, if I heard correctly, he's now attending uh, Mason's church. Really? Yeah. So wow. anyhow, uh, we'll get into all that. So they think it's because God is a God of justice and because racism is a sin that therefore there is much good in this current crisis. We need to stand up, we need to be counted. Uh, We cannot be silent anymore. We need to stand up against the oppressors. Uh, Every one of those we've heard multiple times and we would disagree with much of what I just said. Um, A lot of people are virtue signaling to show that they're not racist. Uh, They're bending over backward to show that they love their black neighbors or coworkers or whatever. But that's not what the issue is. What is really happening, to be blunt, is that we're all being played and played in a major way. It's a pure, unadulterated manipulation. You heard it here. (laughs) All right, we're all being played and it's evil. And and so we're gonna, (laughs) you're laughing. I'm just like. (laughs) We're just like bunkered down in our little secret place right now. <laughs> with our headphones and mics on, and it's like I'm. You know what? The voice, the voice of reason, right here, people. <laughs> We've been dipping our toe, but at some point, you're just like, you know, we're going to get wet, and there's no way around it, and it's going to be cold. Let's just do it and get over it. So, you know what? It's manipulation and it's evil. Uh, now, if you turn us off, 
tough noogies. But if you keep listening, I think that we can become persuasive on it. Now, some of you may recall uh, that when all the rioting was going on, we did an episode on it, and we said that this is not about the stated issues of brutality and racism. It's really all about a shift in power, and it's about money. And we are more certain of that now than we were a few months ago. It's all about that. Now, what's fascinating is how this is tearing apart the church in America. Fascinating in that people are standing firm on this subject in a way that they won't on almost any other point yeah. of theology. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. People who could not tell you the first thing about the doctrine of God or the essence of saving faith are all of a sudden unbending and unmoving on this subject of justice and systems of power and systemic racism. And you're like, who are you? You couldn't <laughs> preach a single sermon on the doctrine of the Trinity that makes sense. And yet all of a sudden you are God's gift to social justice. Um, so the result is that many people are looking for many answers, and rightly so. Um, we personally have had way too many conversations with people who are simply confused and hurt as they watch the church that they love and have been part of for years all of a sudden suddenly begin to change course. And as a side note, this is something uh, primarily within the conservative church, right? I mean, with, the liberal church has been for everything wacky sure. forever. Um, the liberal church believes in everything but biblical truth. And so they're on the frontal lines of telling everyone, everyone that they know that Jesus supports this whole movement and the belief system that drives it. Uh, so it's, it's actually the conservative church. It's supposed to be the bastion of truth and the word um, that's now being dealt with. Uh, it's also, also worth noting that it appears that most churches who are resisting the whole social justice and critical race theory uh, movement uh, have not suffered an exodus. That's what, I find that very interesting. Uh, this can be for various reasons, but it's, it's interesting nonetheless. Have you noticed the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, I mean, I know at MacArthur's church, they're just they're not having people say, I, I'm all confused. I, I was always thinking God loved justice and I'm out of here. I'm going to go and search. It's, it's all of the supposedly conservative churches where they were always taking that high flying view of preaching expositionally, right? Where they never sure. get into the nasty details. They're always talking about that. Isn't it great that David is our, that Jesus is our David and Goliath is sin and, and he's conquered it and blah, blah, blah. But they never deal with the nasty parts that are really hard to deal with in the scripture and uncomfortable for people. And now all of a sudden this is coming out and they're taking a stand and people who were happy there all of a sudden aren't so happy because they're confused. Uh, so we know of families uh, where there is great difficulty right now because sides within the family have been taken. And so the dinner table and family visits are very uncomfortable. And we also note a very clear line of demarcation between the older church members and the younger. Big and so, time. Pardon? Big time. Yeah, yeah. So in some churches, while the older people and perhaps the longtime leadership are not strong proponents of the social justice movement, the younger up-and-coming leaders are. And it's creating new tensions. We see this actually right in our own denomination, the Southern Baptists, uh, with our current president, J.D. Greer, and what we see happening on the seminary campuses. Um, I don't think that Moeller buys into it, but I, I think that in many ways his hands are tied because of the, the principles of governance, the polity of the Southern Baptists with congregational, and there's all kinds of rules and what you can and cannot do. So he has to kind of play a cagey position. I'm not real thrilled with what he's doing, but yeah. I don't I think, think that... I think he's also 
in a, a good way, though I would agree I'm not thrilled, he's a master politician. Yeah. And so he, he loves the SBC. And so I think he's going to work within the framework yeah. to try and redeem it in some way. I, I get frustrated when people just throw him under the bus. I, I'm like, the guy's got a long proven track record of faithfulness. Let's cut him some slack and think a man that brilliant and that, that faithful for so many years, I think he's doing something and he's, he knows how it works. Yeah. Um, well, look at his track record. But what he did I the, think a lot of the people who are coming in behind him at nonetheless are very problematic um, and concerns me. So it's the newer professors who are bringing in the, these troubling teachings and beliefs. We also see it with those who are educated in the public schools. That's why we're going to deal with that. The whole philosophy and belief system is part and parcel of the education system. And so from at this point in our existence, from kindergarten all the way to graduate school, it's taught in every possible way and in every subject. Uh, the result is now children are growing up uh, and they're being taught a philosophy that we're going to argue is overtly anti-Christian in every way. And it's being done on purpose. And the fruit is being harvested now. And the cost is great with uh, quite alarming. Um, so with those very encouraging words, uh, we turn our attention to our goal of defining some of the key terms that are being thrown around. And from there, we'll want to examine them in light of scripture since that really is all that matters. So I'm going to ask Matt, give us some of the history of the critical race theory. Yeah. Now we're not going to do a I mean, we're not talking at scholarly levels here. No, not and, at all. Nor are we going to try and become, you know, a, a podcast about all these technical issues. Um, but we're going to try and just give you a very basic history of what is critical theory. So if you don't know, critical theory comes out of a bigger theory that started way back between World War One and World War Two, um, just known as critical theory. And its its roots are in the philosophies of Kant and Hegel, um, and, and Karl Marx then was the one who helped create that fertile soil, if you will, from which it would then grow. But critical race is theory is not true Marxism. But everyone keeps saying you're talking about Marxism. It really isn't. And so, to the ones who know better, you're not being persuasive by throwing around the scary word of Marxism. Not in its technical sense. Right. It, it, right. Um, Marxism was essentially an economic issue. It was an economic model. And so theirs was a, a societal Marxism, if you will, that was focused on oppression and alienation of people at an economic level. Right. Um, and, and so this is now morphed fully into power dynamics between the oppressed and the oppressors, which is where, you know, comments about, systemic racism begin to come into play. Um, and then a group of people, primarily from Germany, um, came to be known as the Frankfurt School, also known as the Institute for Social Research. Um, and <laughs> We say this so that you know we did our homework. <laughs> yeah, we, we'd tell you their names, but you know, we can't pronounce them. Um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they came and they infiltrated Columbia, I believe. Yep, that's when, where they started. Yeah, in, in the U.S. Um, and if, if you want to know what the actual names of them, j just search for Frankfurt School, and that's going to give you all the information you need. Um, and they, so they focus on the reality of alienation of certain classes of people and what's called reification. Um, when you reify something, it, it basically objectifies something. Yeah. Um, in other words, it turned people just into mere objects. Um, 
and it's it's not surprising that that all occurred on the back end, of course, of the Industrial Revolution. Um, in Bronner's book, which is one we're reading on, on critical theory, he states this. He says, authentic individual experience and class consciousness were being threatened by consumerism of advanced capitalism. Um, and that, of course, led to a pushback through their teachings that then led to this whole thing, that the mess that took place in the 60s. Um, so to do this required them to redefine you know, things like what is the family? What is the purpose of education? What is even proper sexuality? And in all of that was the belief that we need to eliminate, you know, things like competition and promote some sort of equality. Yeah. Now understand all of this is happening though, back in the world war two, one world war two and beyond years, this is not brand new stuff, but all of the things that Matt just said is what you're seeing now coming out full blast. You're like, how did how did all of these aberrant views of sexuality and marriage and relationships come from? It's all coming from this place. They're just finally giving birth to it, if you will. Right, yeah. So don't underestimate the effects that, in other words, this group, this thinking had, and we see in so many parts of our nation and culture today. In fact, modern art is a result of this. Yeah, movement. it was a pushback against the oppression of the of the societal oppressors. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, various forms of liberal theology rose out of this. Um, psychology now is the answer that fixes all mankind's ills. Um, yeah. They were big followers of Freud, Jung. Um, they thought psychoanalysis was one of the means by which we can break free from this system of oppression. So all of the junk that you and I just kind of like, well, no, psychology, it's good. I mean, it's got its place. It really... It's a recent phenomena, and it all was really being birthed out of this uh, critical theory. Yeah. Not critical race theory, critical theory. Correct. Yeah. They, they understood the, the power of the popular culture to affect change, um, and so they would shove it through that. So radio, television, um, that, that now becomes their teaching um, mechanism through which they're able to introduce um, what just seems to appear seemingly innocent forms of entertainment. Yeah, you go back and watch some of those old shows. And if you watch critically, you're like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of stuff was going on there that you didn't really get because compared to now, it, it was pretty tame stuff, but there were ideas being given. It's there, yeah. Um, one example that was interesting was the, the criticism raised regarding you know, a dance group known as the the Tiller Girls, <laughs> who did these these very tight and complex dance moves that were uh, very tightly choreographed. They were actually the precursor to the Rockettes, just so you know. Oh well, I know. Now but... I'll sleep better. <laughs> Thanks. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was viewed as as proof of the loss of of individuality. That was what was at issue. Um, but now you should be hearing echoes of things that we see all the time today, and perhaps. Um, realizing that certain beliefs and convictions that even we hold have not been freely learned uh, as much as we think that they've been. Um, the huge love, for instance, of individualism is a result of this theory. Because again, you have to oppose the man, the system, right. the thing that right. you've been oppressed and yep. conformed to. And, and whatever you think is right is all that really matters. Right. As long as I'm happy, what do you care? Yeah. Stop thinking as the machine yeah. wants you yep. to think. Yep. Um, the, Golly, we've heard that stuff so often, though. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, again, you already said it, but the current redefinition of sex and love and relationships and marriage and family and so on and so forth, all of that stuff has its roots in this kind of thinking. Um, 
the resistance against anything called capitalism as well. Again, that's the machine, that's the man. Um, but the, the, the big one is the idea of oppression. Uh, the, the society is oppressing the individual. And that is due to these sort of built-in structures that you might not even be aware of, they're invisible. Um, but these built-in structures that create inequality and alienation of people or people groups. So this is how um, D'Angelo is arguing. You yourself are not individually a right. racist, but you're part of this greater organism, this greater machine or structure that is in and of itself inherently racist because it was built on racist And ideas. you like that machine because it keeps you in power. Exactly. Um, and so there, there are those who hold the power um, the, the bourgeois, if you will. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the societal bourgeois. Though. Right. Um, and then, therefore, they're the oppressors of, of those who are being oppressed and those who are, are not able to now have power, the proletariat, if you will. Right. Uh, their own, the, yeah, their only value is what they can do for the bourgeois. Yeah, and, and they're going to argue you need to rebel against it. You need to shake off those shackles. So yeah. that's the critical theory. Keep that in mind. And out of that, then we can now start to talk a little bit about the critical race theory. And we're trying to make this interesting because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's mind-bendingly boring, actually. But the consequences are not boring. They're, they're frightening. Um, now, we did not discuss critical theory in any depth because it's all by itself a huge, huge topic. Um, and we're going to do the same thing with really the idea of critical race theory, we may also just call it the CRT. Um, so if you're expecting a graduate level teaching on this, you're gonna be disappointed. Uh, that's not our goal. Uh, we will provide down in the bottom of the notes um, links to some who deal with this much more fully if you wanna deal with it uh, even more than what we're doing. But imagine this, imagine that you walk down some hallway at an office building or medical center and as you pass a person, you smile and say hello, but they just look down at uh, their feet and say nothing. The critical race theory will use an illustration like that to speak about race issues. Because if you're a white man and they're a black man, then it's assumed that there are unspoken racial issues at play. In fact, at this point in time, it's likely that they offer you no other options that could be considered like maybe he's just shy. You know, um, Nope, it's gotta be racism. The shift is so complete now that literally breathing itself is almost racially motivated and defined. And what's important to understand that this is intentional. You, that's why I'm saying you are being played. It's intentional, it's being manufactured by those pushing the CRT. So the CRT or critical race theory developed out of that critical theory um, primarily in the legal world. So critical race was actually a legal concept uh, that in light of critical theory, let's discuss the laws. Uh, in fact, it was not the natural continuation of the civil rights movement that many people say. I get tired of listening to people say, we're just continuing the fight of Martin, Lo uh, not Martin Lloyd Jones, <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. Um, no, you're not. Right. And no, right. are, they are not either. In fact, they don't like that movement. Now they're going to use him because he is a great tool for them to achieve things, but they don't, they don't like his message because 
King dreamed of a day where a man would not be judged by the color of his skin. But CRT dreams of a day where an entire society is now flipped upside down and all acceptable minority groups are the ones with power. That's exactly. what, because Martin Luther King was trying to uh, reform from within the system. Yeah. Um, whereas they're saying, no, the system is inherently corrupt. Yeah. Um, we need to abolish that. Sucker. So it needs to go away. And right? the problem exactly. are you white men and you got it. We got to make you go away. We got to bring you under this theory and, and basically put the yoke upon you. Now we will become the oppressors. And some of them are actually that bold to say that Now most of them are still playing coy. Um, so to be new, so understand then to be in this new sort of power requires your skin color, your gender, your disability, or your sexual orientation to be flown proudly for all to see. Now think about that in light of last 10 years of how people are, I'm proud of this, I'm proud of that, and they're coming out of the closet and they're declaring themselves this or that. You start to realize it's all being pushed by an agenda that's much more subtle than you realize. But if you do not fit within that structure, then you must not possess power. Not meaning you don't possess the power if you're not one of these oppressed people. That's the goal. It's a sociological response to perceived wrongs. Now, this idea of perceived wrongs is huge. So George Floyd was the moment, really, that the Black Lives Movement uh, was waiting for. Um, and once they had a person and an event to point to, they organized protests and they sprang up throughout the nation. If you ever wonder, how did all these happen? It wasn't like the movement of the spirit, folks. Yeah. You know, this is no Pentecost moment. This was a planned thing, simply waiting for a victim that they could make or at least make into a victim. And now we're going to launch. That's how it got so big so fast and it is now dominant. Yes. And and so many people are involved in it that immediately the voices took control of the media and everything else. Now these protests are still going on with much violence and lawlessness. But trust me, Floyd is nowhere to be found because he never really met Yeah, when's the last time you actually heard anything about him? Oh, they gave him a gold casket and they everyone bowed and genuflected. But yeah, he's done. Yeah. He's done. Uh, what matters is to now quickly move into the shadow world. And that's what they've done. Now they're in the shadow world of perceived racism and oppression using Floyd as your so-called proof. And then you simply have to create straw man arguments that enrage people who are not thinking carefully and you start getting everyone on uh, the defensive. Yeah, now understand critical race theory technically is it's merely a theory. Um, it, it is something that academia created and then tossed around. And so people foolishly thought uh, that it was relatively harmless. And so it, it was allowed to be played within certain halls of higher education, if you will. But, but theories always work themselves out in ways we don't expect. There's always consequences to thoughts. Yeah. Um, Darwinism is a perfect example, right? It, it seems simple and harmless. Uh, survival of the fittest, natural selection, things like that. But the entire abortion industry is built upon its belief. Um, racism can can clearly be traced to its arguments, whether here in America or in, in Nazi Germany. Yeah, people just keep forgetting that the whole uh, movement of uh, a perfect race is born out of a Darwinistic thought. They, they don't get it. Um, and of course, Planned Parenthood was by a convinced uh, sure. Darwinist. Yep, absolutely. Um, yeah, so even the, you know, the killing of disabled people and and the aged all find their roots again in Darwinism. 
um, they're weak, they should just go away. Um, but we still treat it like it was a harmless ideas, uh, a harmless idea, and that Christians can now somehow play with, which yeah. you're seeing time and time again with approaches to yeah, like Dr. Walton and his his right. approach that look, we just need to treat Genesis one through eleven as myth, and it's it's not it's not the point, and and we we can play with or Tim Keller. He plays heavily with the whole Darwinistic uh, idea and is very close to it. And it's like, you can't, dude, you, you can't do that. You, yeah. ca you can't keep making Christian faith conform itself to a non-Christian worldview. But we do it all the time. People are like, what, what? And it's like, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, critical race theory first showed itself in a physical way in the 60s with the violence on various campuses across uh, the country. And, and it's here that we begin to see that radicalization of college campuses. Um, but that back then was only thought to be very limited. Uh, it was only just a few. It was these radicals, these young 20-somethings on these college campuses. But they kept pumping out students over time who believed this stuff. And the, the poison just began to spread to other campuses of, of higher learning until it's almost now impossible to find any campus not fully embracing that lie. Yeah, actually, they did. A, it used to be. Now, see, you were not even born. Um, I was growing up in the 60s. And um, it, during that time, if you didn't like what, like, Berkeley, Berkeley became one of those places. Columbia was actually the place where this whole critical this race theory yeah. stuff came in. But um, well, actually, critical theory. And then I think it was in um, California that the critical race theory as a legal idea started being th thought through. But you, you, what happened is it was like Berkeley, Kent State. These were the places where they really kind of began to buy into it and the riots were going on back there when I was a, a young man. And no big deal. We'll just send our kids over to Notre Dame. We'll just send our kids over here, Indiana State University. It's still safe. And we, you didn't understand, though, that these guys were still cranking out this filthy lie and they were sending these professors now into these other universities so now they just did a recent poll of professors in higher academia and just barely over one percent uh are conservative in some way or another so the vast 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 majority of your people are full formed liberals in the bad sense yeah. of liberal well and, and part of the tactic of the frankfurt school when they came especially to, into Columbia, was get the robes, right? So get the- get The, the robes, R-O-B-E-S. Yeah, get, get the professors, get the judges, and get the religious leaders. Because if you can get them from there, everything trickles down, Yep. right? So now, after we're going into the, the higher learning educations, it moves downward into the school systems, both public and private. Um, and so there is not a public school today that is not teaching this. Not one. In, in every- subject at every grade level in some capacity. Um, so, you know, your little sweet eight-year-old has absolutely no idea what he or she is being taught. And frankly, neither do the parents. No, it's just math. It's just math. It's like bull. It's, it's not math within a context. There's a whole oh, yeah. milieu that that stuff is being communicated through. Um, but, but then what we do is we scratch our heads when they're 18 and they're now espousing some or if not all of it in some very overt 
obvious hostile ways. And then wait until they head off into their college experience and you're like, what the heck happened? And you blame it on the college. It's like, no, 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 no. You put them into a melting pot of ideas that was not a melting pot of anything. It was a very carefully constructed worldview system yep. that trained them. That, yeah, absolutely. Which is why we're going to deal with public school in one of our podcasts. Yeah, we need to. Um, and, and this now is also what we're seeing happening in the church. Um, you know, first of all, I would say it, it starts always in that higher academia and then it trickles down into the church. Um, these are the places that are producing the well, pastors. Well, it starts in the seminaries. That, that's yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Is that what I said? No, you just said higher academic, but. Seminaries. Well, yeah, yeah that's what I mean. Um, but even in other ways, you know, so the older crowd now is, is dying off. The younger people are moving into positions of power. And what they're doing is they're bringing all of that influence that they carry with them. Um, even if they don't know that they've been influenced by it. That's yeah. what's so insidious about the, the, the stuff. Um, so seminaries, denominations, and churches are, are infected essentially with this unless clear, sound doctrine is held hard and fast, which is why to your previous comment, there are churches out there where all this stuff blew up on us and they're unbelievably stable because they're churches that have sound theology where week in and week out that's just being taught and the people in those churches actually have a conviction on the truth. Yeah, Vody Bachman is not so good to listen to just because Vody Bachman's a really cool guy. It's because he's grounded in the word. Same thing with Daryl Harrison or Samuel Say. These are three black men that we've encouraged people to spend time listening to because like Vody is really good. He's like, I got the credentials. I was born and raised in South Central LA. You know, he gives his life upbringing. Um, I'm a black man. I mean, he's got all of the things. Mother, right? Yeah. And you've got to, uh, so I can say things that a white man is going to be immediately dismissed over. There's a reason why they're speaking. It's not because they just happen to be Republican or something stupid like that. It's because they're grounded in the word and they're not being swayed by this stuff. Yeah. Um, so, so important. Yeah. And yeah, and this, this is hard because the entire society is finding new ways to discover constantly supposing injustice and oppression every single day over every single issue. And sadly, the church is all too eager to jump on board. All right. So that then kind of gives us a chance to talk a little bit about intersectionality. We're not going to do a whole podcast on that because it's really connected uh, to this uh, critical race theory. Um, it developed as well in the world of academia. It was simply an idea. And so it posed in everyone's minds, no immediate dangers, no concerns. And so like, I'm, I'm going to just use it like a fertilized egg. It was implanted and it began to grow. Um, and what it gave birth to though, is now a full fledged theory that claims to help define your level of oppression. So the critical race theory says that you fall into one of two categories. You're the oppressor or the oppressed. Um, but intersectionality, which is the brainchild of a feminist named Kimberly uh, Crenshaw, she was a black uh, woman, or is a black woman. She argued in this first iteration of that theory of uh, intersectionality that she actually suffered a double whammy because she was suffering racism as a black person, also suffered uh, oppression because of her gender. <coughs> I find that always humorous because she's doing this with a doctorate. Yeah. With full tenure. But somehow she's oppressed. Um, and so out of that, 
intersectionality was implanted into the mind or the uterus mind, if you want, of the whole world of academia. But it never just works out because you, uh, because you can be an oppressor, but still have oppression. And so using that baseline of being a white male, that's what they decided is the white male is that baseline. They are the oppressors. They are the ones that founded our country. Hence, Thomas Jefferson statues got to go. Uh, Christopher Columbus, white man, bad guy. I mean, it doesn't matter. You're a male and you were white. Somehow you're bad. Doesn't matter. Um, so that's your essence of oppression. You now then ask how many ways that your state of oppression intersects with that line. That's all it's asking. So if you're a white male, not much. I mean, you're, you're just a bad guy. You must be a homosexual white male or a transgender white male or a drug addict or a convicted criminal or such. Those are your tickets to now claim yeah. I'm a white male, but I'm oppressed because I walk around with a ponytail and implants. You know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm oppressed. Um, Sorry. <laughs> well, it's, it's a, true, though. I mean, these points at which you're in some minority group or class um, in terms of like what the entire society sees as a mi minority, um, that point of intersection, you're going to feel oppression in some right. way. So the more points you have, basically the louder your voice gets to be right now. Yeah, well, the more moral authority you have and the more your experience uh, is, is legitimate, which right. is what was so evil about o Obama when he got, uh, what's her name? The, um, Latin, so, uh, Supreme court justice, uh, Eileen or something like that. He's like, what we need is the wisdom of, of, of a Latina. And it's like, no, we don't, we need somebody expert on the constitution as it was written. That's what we need. But no, it, it, he was actually using this whole intersectionality and critical race theory yeah. as his argument that somehow she brings to the table this wealth of experience that we need as if now the Constitution can be redefined, which she does sure. quite regularly through the eyes of us uh, Latina. Because, yeah. again, they have a perspective of the system where they haven't been conformed. They've been oppressed by it. Yeah, and so now what you got is, so you got the poor white guy and he's the oppressor. So what he's scrambling to do is find out, is there some place I can make myself oppressed? Right. And so then they're all screaming, no, 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 but I'm also gay. So, you know, now if you're a white female, then that's your ticket. A white female by being female is naturally oppressed. So as Vadi Bachman points out, there's more white, more women than men in America, but they are a minority right. because they're women, uh, according to the system. Yeah. Um, and so she is oppressed simply by being female. Now if she can add a disability or a sexual gender issue too, then it increases her. So the ideal oppressed is a non-white person, or as they like to call it, a person of color, uh, who is homosexual, transgender, has a physical disability, who lives in the country illegally, and who happens to have an addiction. You can't be touched. So George Floyd, hyped up on drugs, acting irrationally, is now all of a sudden accorded hero status because he was a black male, and the white male police officer has got to be a murderer. He just has to be a murderer. And, and justice must be served, which means he must be imprisoned or 
worse. So just understand that's the thinking that's going on. And many people who, and sadly, many Christians jumped on that bandwagon and they threw biblical justice right out the window, all the while espousing a love of justice. So intersectionality, understand, is like a currency on which this whole movement now operates. The more checks you can make in the press column, the greater you claim your claim for power is. Right. Now, a a unified front is something that's very difficult to break down in any situation. And so critical race theory simply practices tactics that go back to the beginning of time. Um, And so here's what they are. Um, And if you can see this, it's going to make a whole lot of sense. Go back to Genesis 1 through what? six or seven with Satan and Eve, and you'll see all of these. Yeah, um, and, and here they are, okay? So, so it's first separate, deceive, redefine, and then instigate. That's the progression. Um, so in this stuff, the reality is that racial issues have, think about this, racial issues have improved from the days of slavery. I mean, I don't know anyone who's debating that or should be debating that. Um, and also... <coughs> Things have improved since the days of the civil rights movement. But by listening to people today, you'll think the exact opposite is true. Um, So to break down a nation that is functioning relatively well, what do you have to do? First thing, you have to create that separation, um, which, of course, critical race theory does. How? By creating new classes of people. Um, then what you do from there is you repeat lies long enough until they're now accepted as truth. So the, the slogan, hands up, don't shoot, um, is a true mantra. Michael Brown was that gentle giant as the media portrayed him, um, who was just gunned down by racist white cop. Um, now none of that was true. No, none. None of that will (laughs) ever be true, but how many pulpits are putting Brown's name in the supposedly long list of proofs? that they are oppressed by white people. Trayvon Martin, um, he, he, you know, so he's just a kid out about doing nothing to nobody until Zimmerman, the police officer, killed him. Fascinating. Or he's Hispanic, him. but he's now called a white Hispanic. Yeah. He's like, what the heck is that? Well, he's got less melon. Well, it doesn't matter. Um, so, he, <laughs> so now Trayvon Martin, he's been essentially deified. He's lionized by the press. He's flat out. Um, and a flat-out lie is now the truth on essentially all campuses and schools. Um, he's being held up as, as the example. Now, he wouldn't hurt anyone, they'll say, but the reality is that he openly bragged about his love of sucker-punching people. And he was actually, in fact, the aggressor with, with Zimmerman, that police officer, and was in the— No, pro- he, was in the, he was a private citizen. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Um, and in the process, he was in the process of beating him— <laughs> uh, when Zimmerman was then able to shoot him. For those of you into MMA, he was on a full mount. So he straddled the guy, had him in a completely helpless thing. He was punching and then slamming his head repeatedly, according to eyewitnesses, against the pavement. That's what he was doing. Just picture yourself in that situation as a mild-mannered, non-oppressing person and tell me if you wouldn't fear for your life. Yeah, but none of that matters. No. Um, why? Well, because Barack Obama enshrined him. I mean, he, he enshrined him when he was, when he said that Trayvon could have been his son. You remember that? Oh. Um, and, and so now all the people are holding up the signs about Mr. Floyd of he could have been my son. Because, so this, this trope just continues. Um, and these are lies that become truth. So now you have a divided people and divided into smaller groups. 
And then from there, you feed them lies about their own state of oppression. You, you, you have redefined what truth is. And now what's that final step is you instigate. Yeah. Um, you, you tell them to raise up, fight for justice by any means that are necessary. Um, now, no matter what the authorities do to quell that situation, in this narrative, it will always be wrong. Yeah, always. Always. There, there, there's no way out. I mean, if you do nothing, you're, you're, you're at loss. I mean, the same people who are saying defund the police, the moment somebody attacks them, where's the police? Call right. in one. It's like, you can't, you can't have them both. Um, yeah, the poor police officers in an impossible situation. Yeah. So with that, now let's build some on that. Let's just make some observations and comments. All we're talking about here is really an over, oversimplification of reality. Um, there are the oppressed and the oppressors. Reality says, though, that there are many shades of both, and there are those who are actually guilty or innocent. But it fails also by being oversimplistic in the wrong way. Biblically, we're all sinners before God. That's the ultimate category, and you don't hear that. And it's to be found, uh, and to be found in it actually puts you in an incredibly bad position. I don't care who you are, you're guilty before God. And that's where then the gospel comes into play. The gospel doesn't promise to make you not oppressed. In fact, you, you made that point at our church service about it when we looked at the slave-master relationship and how the slave was to submit to the master and the master was to treat his uh, slave with fairness, not release him, treat him with fairness. Right. And you, But you pointed out to the congregation, like, what you don't see is a change of categories or anything. Within these positions uh, or systems, you those remain the same. It's how you act within them that yeah. matters for you as a Christian. Paul, as the apostle, could have demanded that you free slaves. Yeah, in fact, he, he could have demanded if he wanted Philemon to do it. Right. Or Philemon. Philemon. Well, Philemon. Well. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, Philemon. Um, but he appeals for love. But he appeals. Yeah. yeah. And that's all he, because he understands. Look, that's, within our society, this is acceptable. I'm appealing now as your brother. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah, it, it, and it, it tends toward uh, emotional, experiential statements. Um, well, let me back up a little bit, because um, you were saying that point, the gospel does not right. promise not to make you oppressed. Uh, in fact, what we would say is believing the gospel and trusting in the gospel almost guarantees that you will be oppressed. Um, it, now, the gospel promises that you are forgiven from the guilt and the consequences of your sin. Uh, it promises life eternal in the end when all things are brought under a true justice of God. But there are also many promises of Jesus that you will be hated, that you will be oppressed, um, that you will be treated unjustly, um, and all on account of his name. Um, and so from there now, it tends toward emotional and experiential statements and arguments over a declaration of facts and truth. That's what this movement is doing. Um, th this is why you can show all the stats you want to about the fallacy of police brutality as, as a norm against the minorities, and it changes yeah. literally nothing. Nothing. Um, th this is this is horrid within a culture because there can be no ground now for true discussion, true debate. Um, but it, it's an even greater evil within the church because experience replaces truth. 
Um, this is another reason that we have such strong reactions against the pulpits of America that have repeatedly sought to speak to felt needs rather than the real needs. It is, this didn't just happen overnight since the end no. of May. This has been a long time coming where a vacuum has been created. And so now it's very emotional and experientially based and driven. Um, now by, by making the white male able-bodied cisgender, because those are the categories, <sighs> Um, th that's the highest category. You have no um, intersections. You are the oppressor. If you're white, male, able-bodied. Yeah, you're the sole oppressor. In a cisgender, yeah. right? And remember, cisgender is where you're, what, what you identify as your gender is what you were given legally when you were born with. In other words, your biology. Um, but by making the white, male, able-bodied cisgender essentially the sole oppressor, it then turns the power structure against them. And with, with the idea of intersectionality, everyone other than a white male now is in one way or another a minority and therefore one of the oppressed. It's incredibly clever and, it's and evil. Brilliant, but yeah. evil. Very deceptive. All right, so those are observations. Let's get some biblical thoughts. And we're going to be talking again broad. Um, first of all, we're going to argue that if we're going to be biblical, then we have to stop using their language. We just can't. We must learn to use biblical terms and then use them proper, properly. Because if one more guy talks about justice as a biblical concept and then defines it in a social justice movement rather than biblical justice, um, you know, I just want to vomit. But yeah. so stop using their language. Um, Freedom from oppression is not what is at stake. At, what's at stake is honoring God within your circumstances. Uh, the slave was to submit and be faithful. The master was to treat him fa fairly. The homosexual, the adulterer, the drug addict, and the drunkard were to repent and reject their, that lifestyle, not be identified by it. The Christian also must reject the idea of being woke. Oh, I hate that one. Uh, if you mean it as simply being more sensitive to racial issues, then would you just do us all a favor and stop using it? Because that's not what it means. To be woke means that once you strip away everything uh, that gets slapped onto it so, that, so as to disguise it, to be woke is to submit to these categories and that philosophy. And that is categorically contrary to the Christian faith and sound doctrine. A Christian should no more bow to the almighty's critical race theory than they would to the old uh, thing that would take place in the early church where there was a yearly requirement to light some incense and simply utter the words that Caesar is Lord. You can't do it. You, yeah. They were thrown to the lions. Something as simple as all I got to do is burn a little incense, say Jesus is, or Caesar is Lord, and I can worship as freely as I want my Christian faith. Look, God knows my heart. He knows I don't believe that, but, you know, I got to do it. They, they understood, no, we, we can't do it. There's only one Lord. And once you start bowing to critical race theory, you have shifted. I'm, I'm just saying it that harshly. You have shifted your Lord from the Lordship of God to the Lordship of this theory. So yeah. you want to do the next one? Sure. Um, we must see humanity through the eyes of God in the Bible. Uh, this one's very important. All people are image bearers. There, there are not many races. There's just one race, the human race. Uh, racial division was evil in the early days of our nation. And it's evil now in this new racial divide. Um, and so when, when a man like the Beatty, for instance, demands that I must first see him as a black man before I can relate to him as a brother in Jesus Christ, 
we're just compelled to dismiss that argument yeah. entirely. Yeah, um, he loses my ear completely. He's no longer speaking biblically. Yeah, and why? Well, because it's been built on that sand of critical race yeah. theory rather than the word of God. Um, we must see the root of the problem as being in the hearts of all of humanity. Um, so we are, we are broken. We are rebellious image bearers, all of us. Uh, the great sin is not that we oppress other people. Rather, the great sin is that we do not give honor to God as God. And that is a very important distinction. Yeah. <laughs> um, Romans 1.18 and following makes that very simple and clear. We reject God as God, and the result is he always gives us over to the lusts of our heart. And that's what we're seeing. That's what really Absolutely. is coming out. Yeah. We, we therefore begin to lust after and worship anything but God. And once we've exchanged truth for lies, then the fallenness of our state begins to overwhelm us and we fall into every sick and broken wickedness that the depraved human mind can essentially think of. Um, often the very categories that we claim for oppression are what God will condemn us for as sinners. It just blows and me we away, We don't though. think about that. It's like, that. come yeah. on! <laughs> right? So, for instance, there is no value in you holding hands with a gay man or a homosexual at some protest against supposed racial oppression. Uh, the man needs to repent. That's what he needs to do. And likely, so do you. Um, <laughs> right? Because Romans 1 is they not only practice such things, but also give approval to those who do. And so you're just as much culpable in that. Um, and so you, you should just know better if, if you're a Christian. But they don't, brother. That's what's breaking my heart is they don't. Um, yeah. All right. So understand also this. This may blow you away, but oppression actually is not wrong in itself. Think about this one. Because right, this just, is going to be hard to yeah. just, just listen out what he's saying. But in critical race theory, it's always wrong. And it's more than an act or series of acts. They say it's a state of being. But listen, oppression is actually the only way you push back against unwanted and unhealthy forces like critical race theory. Um, that is why a national army actually exists. Uh, it's to resist and then oppress any nation seeking to force itself upon our nation. It's not there to win the hearts and minds like Bush tried to do with one of his wars he was in, uh, where he wanted to win the hearts and minds of the Afghan people, I think it was. Yeah. Um, then think about the police force. The police force does not exist to hand out stuffed animals to little kids or to play a quick game of basketball with kids. It literally exists to do one thing, keep the peace. And the, and the way it does that, now hear me, the way it does that is through violence. The threat of legal, God-sanctioned, and I mean that, God-sanctioned, Romans 13, God-sanctioned violence is to be so great that it creates fear in those who desire to rebel. That is what Romans 13 speaks about, not bearing that sword in vain. Yeah, and if you think about um, the, the discussion points right now for those who hold the critical race theory, it's there are the oppressors and then the non-oppressors. But that's a false distinction. Right. It's actually oppressors and oppressors because how are those who hold to critical race theory getting their voice heard? Well, it's by squashing and oppressing the right. voice of those who don't agree. So it's always through oppression. And they're seeking to eliminate the means by which the state, which God has ordained, according to Romans 13, all authority exists by God. Um, the, the, store, the, store, the state uh, exists 
and it exists to squish or quash or quell evil, and it's done by violence. Um, and so now what they're doing is trying to essentially disarm the very means by which God has designed in the sinful world us to deal with right. dangerous forces. Yep. So uh, now the, now the ha hashtag isn't end police brutality, it's hashtag ACAB. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So now, now let's move into the schools then. Schools have to be able to discipline and even uh, evict. That's not the right word. What do you do when you uh, not suspend, a, expel? Yeah, they have to be able to expel students who will not comply with standards and rules. This is oppression, beloved, but, but it's good oppression. You don't want a school full of ruffians and rebels. You want people who are willing to sit there and politely learn the things that schools are supposed to be teaching you. And then you move down to the most basic level of human interaction, that's parents. They oppress their children all the time. Think about it. It's called discipline, and it's good, and it's right unless you want to raise a hellion. But in the ultimate sense, God actually oppresses all the time. The Bible speaks about how he would raise up nations and destroy them, how kings would be trapped in their own evil, uh, how he created governing authorities to suppress evil in the world. And in the ultimate sense, he will oppress every human who ever rejects him for all eternity in hell. But we don't talk about that. So Christians should stop uh, making simplistic statements like God is a God of the oppressed. It sounds nice, but it's not true and certainly not biblical. Yeah. Or he is the God of the oppressed and he put them there, right? <laughs> so I'm going to raise up Babylon that's, that's to an excellent point. Yeah. oppress you for your unfaithfulness. And Poor Habakkuk is yeah. horrified. <laughs> he, he is scandalized that you would raise up such an ungodly nation to do that. And he's like, yeah, that's what I do. Right. <laughs> um, okay, so the, the, the CRT people, uh, the CRT elevates sins that they don't like over and against sins that they love. And that's truly what's taking place here. So a racist statement by a fool is of the greatest of evils. We'll all acknowledge that. Yeah, well, nobody's, when some guy spouts off some stupid thing that all the black folks ought to be lynched, ha, ha, ha. Well, that's just a fool uttering folly. Right. And I would actually argue somebody should punch him. He should be thumped. Yeah. A fool's mouth invites blows. Yeah, and, and our system should not protect that. It should... That guy should walk away very sore for opening his mouth. It's like, just shut up if you want to be a fool. But yeah. or, we're, we're really <laughs> laying well, out Lydia, our cards, aren't we? <laughs> I've been joking with Lydia because her solution to everything is someone needs to just take them out back and thump them. That's, <laughs> that's all she could say. I wonder where she learned that from. Yeah, who knows. Um, so again, we'll say a racist statement by a fool is of great evil. Um, you know, Use the N-word and not be a black person when you do it. In your toast, you know, you can even go to jail for for hate crimes if you try to erase BLM graffiti. Um, but resist arrest, uh, assault a police officer. How about falsely accuse people of guilt and sin without proof? How about not being envious of what others have? How about outbursts of anger or hatred? Um, big sins, serious sins. But in the critical race theory, it is all part of fighting the good fight against. The system, the man, the so-called oppression. And out comes the Christians. And we're going to we put our placards and we're going to march with them yep, because we we're all about this. Uh, because this is love. Yes, this is love. So salvation, salvation in all of this is of lesser importance than, and hear this, salvation is of lesser importance than liberation from social oppression. This is where the conversation is at. For the unbeliever, 
liberation. Frank, yeah. Yeah. Frankly, that's all they can, they can hope for. Um, someone is always going to be in power until someone else takes that power. Um, and if, and if you're in a position of, of comfort and wealth, you're seldom eager to take part with them, especially if you're forced to. Um, but if you're in a state of hardship and need, it's not surprising to find that that person's always in want of more. Um, the history of humanity is simply one of people taking what isn't theirs from others who had it. <laughs> Just read history. Um, and the grand lie of America is that evil Europeans, the white man, came and took the land away from the peaceful, loving Indians of America. Um, it's such a lie, but it conveniently ignores the fact that the Indians themselves were divided into groups and tribes where they're constantly warring with one another. Um, entire groups of Indians were wiped off the face of the earth, like the uh, Anasazi Indians, who... Completely, a very advanced culture, completely erased by other Indians. Yeah, but they're, they were loving, peaceable, tobacco-smoking. Sure. <laughs> um, so you want to pick it up? Well, so all we're saying is you should not scratch your heads when you see unbelievers scrambling to get what they can get. That's what they do. It's their only hope in a broken, fallen world. They want either to oppress or to break out of that oppression. And of course, then oppress the oppressor for payback. But you never hear them admitting that part. Right. Um, there is this golden age that we can finally bring about if we can just break free of these shackles. But it never delivers. So first of all, that's how unbelievers see their salvation. It's always bound up in liberation. Yeah. But for the Christian, salvation is such that it's inherently God-focused and future get that future oriented all of us but we've already taught actually in our systematic theology uh, episodes but we understand we must be saved not from our sin actually but from the judicial wrath of god due to our sin we need to flee from the wrath to come which is coming from god we are rebels who reject god and therefore his ways but god makes salvation possible through the death and resurrection of jesus obviously we're going high view here, uh, not all the details. And so we we're able to say as a Christian that all who truly trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sin, who follow him as their new master or Lord, that salvation is granted. But the salvation is not actually realized right now. It's declared now, but it's realized in the future, in the end, when judgment comes from God and we're found safe in Jesus Christ. And at that point, wrath is going to pass right over us. We will now, and only at that point, enter into the fullness of what life was truly meant to be, and we will enjoy an eternity without sin and death under the care of our Maker and our Redeemer for all eternity. In other words, beloved, we should not expect salvation in the here and now. In fact, this is the great evils of uh, James Cone and, and the liberation theology. It seeks to possess salvation now uh, for, uh, from the uh, great oppressors of society. But for the believer, you are the ultimate oppressed, or at least you will be given time. The world is destined, beloved, to hate you, and you've got to get that through your skull. The world is destined to hate you because they hated Christ, and Christ promises it. The world will resist your message of repentance. The world will suppress the truth and those who proclaim that truth. So we are called by God to suffer for his namesake. But in all of this, we are more than conquerors, the Bible says, because of Jesus Christ. And so we are just simply called set our minds 
in the heavenly places where Christ is seated at the right hand of his father. And we're not to be uh, doing anything else. We are not to be, we are to be here now waiting for that blessed hope of the return of Christ. Yeah. And we would add to that true unity is not found in redefining power structures, but in our identity in Jesus Christ. That's where true unity is found. What makes comments, for instance, like the Beatties, where you're expected to first somehow embrace his blackness before you can embrace him as a brother in Christ, is that it's contrary to the Bible. Um, critical race theory makes the world out to be two groups. Again, you, you have the oppressors and the oppressed. Uh, but the Bible makes two different groups, those who are in Christ and those who are not. That's the critical distinction. And so if you're not in Christ, then you are God's enemy and you are destined to receive only his eternal wrath, as you were just talking about. If you're in Christ, though, then you're forgiven and fully adopted into that one household that truly matters, which is God's household. But, but you are commanded to then go back to those not in Christ with the good news of how they might become in Christ. That's the message. Um, and all the while expecting to be hated for it. Right. And oppressed. Yes. Um, but meanwhile, your, your whole self-identity is, is not as an American. It's not as a black woman. It's not as a conservative Republican. It's not as a Cubs fan or a Packer fan. It's not that you can't like those things or not like those things. It's just that's not where your identity ought to be. It is to be as a child of God and all who are in Christ are your brothers and sisters. And if, if they're older than you, then here's what we would also say. You ought to treat them as your mothers or your fathers, spiritually speaking. And if they're, which means they deserve respect. Yeah. They're owed respect. I, we don't care what color they're. They're in Christ. Right. And if they're older than you, you talk to them like you would your mother or your father. You honor them just for the fact that they've been living longer than you. Right. Um, and if they're younger than you, then you should treat them as your, your children. And, and I don't mean in some evil way, but you should be seeking to care for them, guard them, feed them for the greater purpose of seeing them grow into maturity. And it is that simple. And yet at the same time, we would say that radical. And it's going to become more apparently radical as the culture grows worse. Oh, yeah. Um, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor f female. Why? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so listen carefully to this, this next one and ask yourself, what would happen if your local church uh, was to truly practice this? Do you want to read it? Sure. Um, it's a favorite passage. Do, now listen again in light of everything we said. Do not lie to one another. Why? Since you laid aside the old man with its evil practices and have put on the new man who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man. But Christ is all and in all. So, and so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Beloved, he's actually talking there in that entire context, not to the greater society, but to the brothers the and sisters, the church. Yeah. We need to be putting this kind of thing on, and you're not watching it. You're watching it tear us apart. 
So the mission of the church is not subject, in other words, to the whims of social and human events. And so when you see that happening, you should always be cautious. The church is not to be an activist organization. It ought not lock arms, in fact, with these organizations because they are inherently short-sighted. Instead, the church should be doing the same things over and over again because they're what our Lord commanded them to do. What is different now that Mr. Floyd is dead? We would say absolutely nothing. Right. Sin still rules the hearts of humanity. Satan is still their God. Rebellion is in the hearts of every unredeemed person. So nothing really has changed. And the message and the actions of the church, therefore, are the same thing they should have been doing the day before Mr. Floyd's death or any other event you want to point to. They should love their neighbor. They should love God. They should seek to win others to Christ. They should grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They should mind their own business and be busy working with their own hands. And they should be looking for the coming of the Lord who will set all things right. Right. So with that, that that's sufficient. That's enough to chew on, I think, for yeah. a while. Um, next time what we'll do is we'll jump into another point related to this, this whole social justice movement um, conversation. Uh, and try to speak maybe a little bit, hopefully a bit more sanity into it all. But until then, make sure to tune in, join this conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on critical race theory. And don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend.